Very simply put, shock is essentially an event that leads to catastrophic failure of the circulatory system. That is, for whatever reason, the blood is unable to be pumped or delivered throughout the body, so there is no oxygen or vital nutrients getting to the essential organs. Treatment in an austere environment is pretty difficult, but there are a few things that you can do and some things that you should look for for early evacuation. Welcome to Bushcraft Health and Wellness, the podcast for anyone who spends time outdoors that wants to learn about staying healthy with wellness and preparedness. If you want to keep the high stoke, full send adventures going for years to come, you need to start with the basics because we all want to stay well, play hard, and recover fast. And I want to help you lay a good foundation through memorable stories and helpful tips. I'm Mandy, and when I'm not traveling across the country living out of my Jeep, I'm working as a nurse and planning my next adventure, and I want to share everything I know with you. In addition to new episodes every week, I also create a summary sheet with all of the main points. So check out the show notes for that, plus all of the great source materials. So buckle in and let's go. Quick disclaimer, this podcast does not replace medical advice from a doctor. You should talk to your primary care physician before making any changes to medications or treatments. This podcast also does not take the place of wilderness first aid, CPR, or any other medical training, which are recommended. I make my best attempt to be as up-to-date and accurate as possible, but I am human and make mistakes. Medical content and descriptions of sometimes gory situations may be more adult in nature. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome back. As you probably gathered from the intro, today we are doing shock. And a lot of you might be very confused on what shock is, and that's totally okay because as a medical person, I also am sometimes confused about shock, and I definitely was when I was in nursing school. So as I said in the intro, very simply put, it is basically something that leads to an event that causes catastrophic failure of the circulatory system. So for whatever reason, the blood is not there or is not able to be pumped or delivered throughout the body. So thus your essential organs are not getting the oxygen they need and the nutrients they need. And in contrast, all of the waste materials and all that stuff is not being removed as it should be. So as you can probably guess just from that very simple explanation, there is a lot going wrong here. And it is best if you can recognize this early and treat it early with the main focus being on of course prevention. So early signs of shock are actually pretty vague and pretty hard to notice because your body tries so hard to compensate and make it so that you do not fully progress to shock because it is that deadly of a condition. So that is why someone who has shock can actually seem fine and everything's good and then they just deteriorate so so fast it's just almost instantaneous so let me back up for a second we're going to talk about a few of the different causes of shock and there's actually a few different methods on how it might occur but basically the end result is all the same and that is that lack of blood flow to the essential organs 
Now that being said, even if you do manage to recognize the initial signs of shock or recognize the type that is causing it, yes, that is very helpful information. However, it is still the best idea to evacuate rapidly because in an austere environment, it really is pretty difficult to treat. Even the most basic form of shock, which is hypovolemic, which I'll get into in just a second, is not the easiest to treat. It's not so easy as, oh, just pump them full of a bunch of water and then their fluid volume will pop back up. Ideally, that would be great, but as all things in medical world here, it's just not that easy. So usually, like I said, the symptoms are very vague and they can be often confused for many other conditions. So an overall feeling of being unwell with a decline in mental status or physical changes or maybe vital signs are going a little weird are probably the first few symptoms. Unfortunately, unless something happens, you're probably not really going to be paying that close attention, especially to their vital signs. I'm not sure why you would just be checking someone's vitals unless something happens. However, one of the key things that causes shock is trauma in any way. So that is one slight advantage you have. I mean, it's not great because likely the trauma is going to cause shock, but then you know, hey, this person's been through a trauma, I should look for signs of shock. And before I get into what those four kinds or the several different kinds of shock are, I just want to quick run through kind of what the stages are, even though you're likely not really going to know or need this information in the field. I feel like it's just helpful in having an overall understanding of what the actual condition is. So the first stage, you likely won't even notice anything is wrong. Anxiety could be one of the first symptoms for this stage, and likely it can be attributed to so many other things, so you're probably not going to immediately think shock. It's kind of like that old saying, when you hear hoofbeats, think horses, not zebras. Similar to that. So after the first stage, you move into the second stage, which is compensatory shock. So the body is now working a little bit harder to compensate for the problems that it's noticing. So if you're paying attention, there is a lot better chance that you will notice some issues here. So these issues or these symptoms might be increased pulse and breathing, and the most telling sign is significantly decreased urine output. So yes, there are signs and they're there, and they're usually pretty obvious, but if you're not measuring their output of urine, you're probably not gonna notice that. And also increase in pulse and respiration can be attributed to so many other things. Yes, they are very telling, and if you know what to look for and potentially why, yeah, you can probably rule out some other things and say, yep, it's probably shock. They're probably going into shock. However, remember, pulse and respiration increase with other things, including blood loss, which I'm guessing is the cause of shock in those cases, but also anxiety, which is another symptom of shock, exertion, adrenaline, so many things. And yes, some of those are intrinsically related to shock, actually maybe all of them, except maybe exertion. So that's why it's just so hard to kind of pick things out here, especially when 
all you really have to go by are those symptoms. It's not like you have a bunch of tests and equipment and all that diagnostic stuff out in the field. So beyond compensatory shock, I said that kind of weird, whatever, they then go to progressive shock, which is where things seem to suddenly take a turn for the worse, and all of a sudden it feels like they're falling apart. And you probably definitely notice this stage. Then the final stage of shock is known as refractory, sh refractory shock, and they have now deteriorated significantly and often don't even respond to aggressive treatment. So really you can see how you're probably going to progress past age one and two into three out in whatever environment you're in before you even notice something's wrong. And then they can flip just like that into a advanced stage that's hard to treat and difficult to treat especially with no tools. So that is why at the first sign of shock or the first indicator that you have where you think something is going on, you should probably focus on stabilization and rapid evacuation. Okay, let's get to the causes of shock. There's a few different types and they all kind of change a little something different on how the shock develops. So the most common one that you're going to see in an austere environment is probably hypovolemic shock. So that means lack of blood volume. There is a problem with the fluid in the pumping system here. And this usually happens from extreme dehydration or blood loss, potentially both depending on what happened out there. So these two either act independently or together so that there just physically is not enough blood to pump around and to provide the needed oxygen and to keep that blood pressure high enough to keep all of the essential body functions going. Next we have cardiogenic shock which is the problem with the pump itself so the motor or the heart in this condition and usually this condition is more likely to be chronic I suppose like if you have heart failure or some other heart condition but do keep in mind that it is not always the case it could be brought on by just cardiac overload maybe fluid overload potentially you have an electrolyte imbalance and I'll get into that a lot later how electrolytes are so important that yes e electrolyte imbalance can cause a otherwise healthy individual to go into cardiogenic shock. So that is kind of terrifying. Keep that in mind. Then we have distributive or vasogenic shock. And these are basically problems with the blood vessels. So this is the piping of the system. So it makes controlling where the blood goes as the issue if that makes sense. So things like anaphylaxis, sepsis, spinal cord injuries, otherwise known as neurogenic, and pain or panic, which can be considered psychogenic, are all situations that cause the blood vessels to dilate. So the muscles around your blood vessels that help the heart pump the blood into the extremities and then return it back to the heart slash lungs for reoxidation reoxygenation no longer get the memo that that's what they need to do so they basically go slack and they just sit there wide open so your blood just kind of pools 
wherever it was last and some more of it might be pumped there by the arteries but essentially the vessels are just rubber tubes at this point they're worthless they're not doing their job and they're not helping move the blood about where it needs to go so the heart is still working there's still enough volume but the vessels are failing to do their job I know I was just very repetitive on that one and it really doesn't matter in the long run it does not matter what kind of shock they have because as you can probably tell I don't know too many things that you can do without some fancy medical equipment to help any of these systems except maybe hypovolemic but like I said it's not as simple as just replacing that volume. Something like a burn can cause hypovolemic shock and it is not necessarily because of lack of fluid in the body. It's because all of the fluid all of a sudden it shifts to a different location. So the fluid is there and you have fluid in your cells, outside of your cells, which is commonly in the vessels, and then in the tissues of the body. So in the case of burns, there is just so much trauma and your body is very confused as to everything and there's all the tissue damage and the cell death and the cell damage. So the fluid basically just yeets on over to a different location out of the vessels, out of the blood, and now it is in the tissue, which is otherwise known as swelling or edema in extreme cases of swelling. So it's there, but it's not doing what it's supposed to. And your body can still go into hypovolemic shock because according to your heart and your lungs and your vessels and the other tissues, there is not enough fluid. They don't have enough blood. They are running dry and they are freaking out. And I have a feeling this is getting a little bit too technical right now for a podcast, so I'm just going to leave it at that. That is just an instance where the fluid is present. So something simply like replacing the fluid by making someone drink a bunch of water isn't going to necessarily help the situation. And then even worse, if that fluid just happens to shift back into the location where it's supposed to be and now they have all of this additional fluid from rehydration then their electrolytes first of all are going to be even more off balance because you probably didn't replace electrolytes in addition to fluid but now the heart can very easily become overloaded because all of a sudden they it has been going into overdrive thinking there's not enough fluid anywhere there's not enough blood we have a problem, we're going to panic, and now all of a sudden there's the opposite of the problem. And your heart can only handle so much, and it can very easily flip from hypovolemic shock to cardiogenic shock. I'm sure there's some cardiologists and cardio nurses out there who are probably shaking their head at me and telling me I have it all wrong. But I'm going to once again emphasize that it doesn't matter. I am simply trying to explain it so that maybe you can understand it a little better because things like that is what helps me understand things and what helps me remember things. And I also have not looked at my nursing school notes in like four years on this topic. So this is all just like off of the top of my head. And you aren't going to be able to change it in the field anyway. That is my main point. Okay, we are moving on now. So, 
Symptoms of shock are things like anxiousness, restlessness that progresses to confusion, or potentially they can become unresponsive. They might have rapid distal pulses that are weakening over time. Rapid, shallow, or excessively deep breaths. Yes, I know those are opposites, but once again, it kind of depends on the type of shock that we're looking at here. Skin is often either pale or bluish, maybe clammy or sweaty. It might feel kind of cool. And capillary refill is slow. So remember, that is when you press on their fingernail and kind of watch to look and see how quickly it turns back from white, that blanching, to pink. Their pupils might be dilated, so large, and slow to respond to light. They might have dizziness or fainting. This can be from that low blood pressure. Also from low blood, low blood pressure, fatigue or excessive tiredness. They might be excessively weak. They might be extremely thirsty yet still have that decreased urine output. And that one I have bolded on the tip sheet because once again, it is so very important in a hospital setting where you are constantly measuring input and output. This can be one of the first indicators that they look for, which is why a lot of nurses in a few different situations are going to seem to be obsessed with your urine output. However, in the field, unless you are collecting it all and measuring it, you're probably not going to notice this. But if you happen to notice or realize that, hey, I don't think this patient has urinated in like a day, that's pretty concerning, particularly if they haven't urinated in a day and they have now suffered some sort of trauma where they could potentially be going into shock. Nausea and vomiting are more symptoms. I'm back on symptoms if you didn't catch that. And if blood pressure suddenly drops, it's usually a sign that the body is no longer able to compensate for circulatory collapse and their decline is imminent. You can gauge rough blood pressure, remember, without a cuff by loss of distal pulses, so those at the wrists and feet. Wrists. I feel like I said that weird. Anyway, so the patient might have been compensating up until this time. You might have noticed a few things. Maybe their mental status changed a little bit. They just get a little more anxious or a little more restless. Maybe their skin is doing some weird stuff and they feel like their heart is racing and their breath goes up. All of which you can probably look at and chalk up to something else and kind of write off as oh, something something else going on you know we just pushed really hard up this last incline or yeah they are in pain or this crazy thing just happened so that's obviously what's going on and then all of a sudden they just absolutely tank that is shock and that is what you should be watching out for that is what you are potentially trying to avoid no you're for sure trying to avoid it and you are trying to head this off and get evacuated before you get to this point so treatment for shock I will say this probably too much and annoy you but it is so hard out in the field often impossible in an austere environment even if you are a doctor that doesn't necessarily mean that you have the equipment with you and it also doesn't necessarily mean that you should not try it all. You should do whatever you can in your power to help this patient and try and get the 
blood to the appropriate important organs. So the first step is to recognize the signs of impending doom. So if you know that they have suffered from a trauma, you know they have excessive blood loss, you know or you suspect there is a spinal cord injury or they have had an allergic reaction or something else, you're going to be on the lookout for shock and for these symptoms. Even if you can explain them 10 ways to Sunday, take note. Then you're going to look for all of the symptoms. I know that kind of goes along with it, but just really pay attention. Really be analyzing all of their mood changes, all of their levels of consciousness and responsiveness and their anxiety or restlessness or if they get tired all of a sudden, maybe do some extra vital checks or something just so that you have some sort of data and you're looking at your patient. Vital signs are great for this because a lot of them are going to be the first things that you probably actually notice and that you can quantify because it's kind of it can be hard to tell like if someone is already stressed and anxious it's not always so apparent when that ramps up like They're not just going to all of a sudden flip into a full-blown panic attack. So it's not like you can rely on that. However, if their pulse has been a steady 90 for the last couple hours and now all of a sudden it's up to 150 and there's no logical explanation for that, that is a quantifiable change in their status that you can measure and that you can logically not really attribute to something else. Okay, once somebody is in shock, you're going to revert to your priorities. So maintain their airway and their breathing and their circulation while keeping them warm and away from, you know, hazards of the environment. In some circumstances, they might need cooling if they are going into shock, potentially because of dehydration that has come to you from heat stroke or something like that. When at all possible, replenish fluids. Like I said, that might not necessarily change everything and that's not going to be a one-stop shop fix-all, but it will help. And if that's all you have to do, do it. Continue to assess and note any and all changes in status. And if you need to, you can lay them flat on their back or in recovery position, which remembers kind of more on their side, facing down a little bit, so that if they do vomit or something like that, they're not going to aspirate it into their lungs. And elevating their legs may help increase their blood pressure by assisting with blood return from those extremities. If they are standing up, their heart and their vessels and their blood is all going to have to fight against that gravity to return blood to the heart and lungs and other essential organs that are located in the torso and also probably your brain that's pretty important so by laying them down and elevating their legs you can help increase their blood pressure I do want to put a quick note out there just because some people are probably yelling it right now if there are educated persons listening to this and that is if somebody has 
heart problems and they have fluid overload. So in some cases of cardiogenic shock where they go into that shock because of a fluid overload problem, because maybe they have heart failure of some sort, doing this is not the answer because then it's going to overload their heart further. So it's kind of hard to tell you that you all of a sudden need to diagnose their heart failure but something that you can look at is if they have crazy pitting edema in their legs so if they are very swollen and you can tell there's a lot of fluid in there because you push on it and it leaves a hole or a pit that is pitting edema or if they sound like they're drowning like if their lungs are really crackly and they have this wet cough that could be another sign of fluid overload in their heart. So I'm not expecting you to diagnose heart failure. Just keep in mind that there is that possibility. So if there is any way that you can kind of rule out the other causes of shock and think maybe it is something to do with the heart and the fluid overload. I've noticed that their legs are giant sausages and they have these weird marks in them and you can see where every single seam on their pants and their socks and their shoes were and or and or they have this wet hacking cough but there's nothing well I guess it's a dry cough okay forget the cough their lungs sound wet but the cough is dry okay yeah they don't actually have fluid in their lungs but it sounds like it when you listen to it with the stethoscope so rewind take it back you're not going to be diagnosing their heart failure just know that that is a possibility when you're putting their feet up and they have heart problems that it could further overload their heart Okay, we're moving on now because it's irrelevant at this point and likely nine times out of nine and a half times, that's not going to be the case. Okay, so if their shock is caused by an allergic reaction and you have the ability to administer epinephrine, do that. Hopefully you've done it by now and you have recognized that they're having an anaphylactic reaction and that they need their epinephrine but as I will cover when we get to the allergies section, there is always a possibility of them having kind of like a rebound anaphylactic reaction even after you've given them epinephrine. And one of the things that happens with anaphylaxis is this anaphylactic shock where all of the vessels just kind of dilate and the fluid shifts around crazy everywhere and that's what causes anaphylactic shock when you're having that anaphylactic reaction. Okay, I feel like I'm ranting a lot in this episode and I apologize. So that is pretty much what you can do for actual physical treatment. I mentioned pretty much everything along the lines of maintaining their airway and breathing. You are calling for help and evacuation and trying to rapidly evacuate before they get to that fourth refractory stage of shock. You are keeping them protected from the elements, replenishing fluids if you're able to. Remember, don't force this if they're either unconscious or unable to swallow or keep fluids down don't keep trying to force fluids because they're probably going to throw up more than you are able to get down them if it is that bad 
and also just do whatever possible to reassure them, calm them, comfort them. Do what you can because they, the increased anxiety and all of that mental toll is not going to help the situation any. So if they can remain as calm and as reasonable as possible given the situation, that is always preferable. That being said, they're physiologically probably going to have a difficult time just laying there and being calm and being chill. So don't try and force it and don't be offended if they don't respond to your attempts to calm them down. And as always, I know I say this a lot and I'm going to continue saying it, just continue ongoing assessments and monitoring them for any changes trying to trend any changes in mental status, changes in vital signs, changes in any sort of physical condition or ability. If you notice it, write it down. Someone somewhere will be happy that you have that information. Okay, that is what I have for shock. I know I got kind of rambly in this one. This is a very complex issue and I hope I didn't butcher it too much because there's just a lot medically going on. I really just wanted to get the point across that this is one of those situations where there's not much you can do in the field and I feel like I hope you aren't feeling frustrated and feeling like this is a failure to educate you because I just keep saying that you need to stabilize the patient and get to care. I'm just trying to help you recognize when the situation gets a little more dire and when you can push somebody and when maybe you shouldn't push somebody or when maybe you should send someone ahead to call for help if you haven't been able to get a hold of someone already. So that all being said, this was shock. This is once again the Bushcraft Health and Wellness Podcast in case you have forgotten while I'm ranting on about shock and fluids and cardio stuff and all of that. And if anybody has anything constructive to add or any fun things to tell me, please let me know. This has been a lot more heavy of an episode, but that's okay. We are going into some fun stuff, which is the musculoskeletal stuff next. So be prepared for that next week. Check out the show notes for the tip sheet and the newsletter. And please give me a like, rate, and review. You can also reach out with any suggestions that you have for future episodes. I will take them into consideration and try and get to them as soon as I can. I'm really enjoying making this podcast so far. So I hope that somebody out there is enjoying listening to it. I will see you next time.